One of my favorite quotes, and you guys all probably know who she is, and even her husband, Karen Malik Seneferu. She has this quote, it's, space dictates meaning, and basically what you bring into that space can mm-hmm. ultimately change the meaning of that space. So as a teacher, as a black teacher, as a woman, as a black woman, all those intersections, right? I really think space dictates meaning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Black Female Project podcast. I'm Che Abram. We're back with part two of our Black Women Teachers series. And in this series, the women are going to talk about space. You heard Erica talk about space dictates meaning, but the teachers will dive more deeply into what that is. Is it just creating a classroom with culturally responsive pieces all over it? Is it just creating a classroom space where students feel loved and feel welcome to share? Or is it creating a space where your students, yourself as a teacher can thrive fully? Meaning you can live, you can express, you can be, you can represent yourself to your fullest, most lovely capacity and someone is going to nurture you through all of what that means the joys, the hurts, the excitements, the tears. Space dictates meaning. And in this episode, I hope you're able to figure out how that works best for you. Please be advised that all video and audio recordings were completed before the COVID-19 pandemic. Black Female Project. Another piece that I'd like to speak to very quickly about, and that is the wisdom of our students, of our children. They come with a whole set of skills and knowledge and experiences that the teacher doesn't have a clue about. Mm -hmm. And how do we get them to bring it out? How do we set up our classrooms and set up our lessons so that it comes out? I'm gonna tell you a quick story I told at the last. This is my favorite story. Everybody knows the story of Jack and the Beanstalk? Mm -hmm. Okay, everybody's clear on that. There is a, if you're not using it, it's a wonderful reading um, system called Junior Great Books. Comes, it's, it's old. It comes out of Chicago, but it goes from kindergarten all the way through adults. And the purpose is to have what they call shared inquiry. You read a story and you have shared inquiry with your students about what happened in the story. You don't ask factual questions, you ask interpretive questions. So uh, I have my, I'm doing this in my second and third graders. And most, in most schools across the country, it's done with gifted kids, but I did it with all my kids. So we read the story, Jack and the Beanstalk, and the question that one kid asked, I had taught them how to ask interpretive questions. One kid asked the question, how did the little old man who traded the beans to Jack for Jack's cow know Jack's name? Hmm. He called him by name. Hmm. And one kid answered, well, maybe he knew Jack's mother and knew she had a son named Jack. Hmm. And another kid said, well, maybe he overheard um, Jack talking with his mother and she called him by name when they were talking. And this black kid, my class was predominantly black, this black kid in the inner city said, he didn't know his name. It's like you see a guy you kind of know and you say, hey, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> the door's not over. I'm just sitting there, I'm going, I'm just looking at him. I'm just going, oh, God. <laughs> 
so we keep talking about the story, and then he he breaks in. He he says, "Miss Davis, Miss Davis," and he was so anxious. I said, "What?" He said, "That little old man was a front man for the giant." I just said, "All those English boys get up there." What is it? What? A front man for the giant. <laughs> the, the, the beans, the, the, the old man gave the beans to the boys, and the boys would put them in the ground, and then it would climb up in the sky, and the boys would climb up to see where it went, where it went, and it was a giant up there eating the boys. Oh, I don't think I knew the story. Okay, wow. okay. Giant was eating the boys, and the giant had a, a, a goose that laid a golden egg, and he had a golden carp, and his wife would cook the boys in the oven. That's why I don't believe fairy tales anymore. <laughs> anyway, he said he was a front man for the giant. I also said all those little English boys get up there. Wow. And I told him that's the most brilliant thing I have ever heard. Yes. <laughs> no matter how many classes I've taken and workshops I've gone to and how many degrees I've had, I've never heard anything like brilliant. <laughs> so then we, still not over. We get to the end of the story and I ask the kids, are there any more comments people want to make? The same kid said, it ain't a right story. I said, what do you mean it isn't the right story? <laughs> he said, Jack was a thief and a murderer and he got away with it. Mm -hmm. the right story. That's the most important lesson I have learned in all of my 50 years of teaching. That you must listen to the kids because they will teach you every single time. Mm -hmm. They will teach you like you have no idea. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's, they, that, that story is... That child's probably a grandfather right now. <laughs> <laughs> that, story, that story is really old. <laughs> really old. That's from back in the 70s. But that's, that's the lesson. You must listen to your children because they will teach you and they will expand your whole horizon about how to do the work. PJS Consultants works to restore humanity and marketing by leading narrative change initiatives that shift culture inside and outside of organizations. Deep roots in the San Francisco Bay Area inform PJS Consultants' equity-focused and asset-based approach to designing and implementing integrated marketing communication strategies that increase brand awareness and market leadership. PJS Consultants partners with organizations and individuals in California and across the U.S. who have defined and demonstrated commitment to centering justice in their work. I'd like to speak on race and being a black teacher. When I was growing up, a lot of a lot of people in the Black Teacher Project have talked about having black teachers. And I didn't have black teachers when I grew up. I had one black teacher and that was in kindergarten. And her name is Mrs. Williams. And I remember her. Tall, beautiful Mrs. Williams. But I don't remember everyone else's name. I remember my black teacher, you know, maybe a few in between, but that was Mrs. Williams. And I looked at her and said, oh, Mrs. Williams, it was just so beautiful to me, such a beautiful experience. But then growing up, I lived in, in predominantly white situations, so I didn't see myself reflected back at me. I didn't see myself in the curriculum. I didn't see myself on the walls. And when... I did hear about black people. It was maybe a sentence about slavery. Or uh, one story I tell is that in seventh grade, a teacher actually said that slavery ended up being a good thing because it, cult it gave people culture and it taught them how to, to uh, be productive in society. And I was like, what? Where is this? Yeah, this was out in Pleasant Hill.
in Pleasant Hill. In California? Yeah, that's California. It's right through the tunnel. And um, and so, <laughs> yeah, real pleasant, huh? Uh, and so I, I raised my hand, and because I, I had homeschooled, and I'd been taught that that's not who we are. And I said, well, you know, my parents said that we... You know, we had civilizations that were that were grand civilizations in Africa, and there were inventions that came out of Africa. There were kings and queens, and and she just kind of hushed me and and said, you know, actually, I'd like to stay on topic, and went on with the lesson. And that and that was also a school where the first day of school was spray painted on the wall, um, "Go back to Africa," and I was like the only one they would be addressing. So I knew they were talking to me. So I had to put on armor through junior high and high school. And I vowed, I said, this is not right. And this is not what I'm going to, um, I said, I'm going to combat this. And I decided to be the teacher who teaches black history throughout the year, not in black history month, teach, teaching about leaders and change makers, just throughout. But then I also became the teacher who everyone comes to me, do you have anything on Marian Anderson? Do you have, it's like, can't you all gather your own material? You know, and, and, and the thing is, they would assume I had all these things, but I did. You know, I did stacks of things. So I was that go-to, I am that go-to person, but I really would like to see everyone expanding in that way. The, the black parents at my school, because it is a predominantly white school I teach at too, they all want their kids in my class. And I, I just soak it up. I love getting the black kids. And, um, and I, teach, I teach them all about everyone's history, not just black history, not white history. It's not black and white. There are Asian Americans, Filipino Americans, just um, I try to approach just the multicultural way because I think of how I was taught and how damaging that was to me growing up. But, you know, even though I, I went through high school wearing my Afro saying, no, that isn't me, you know, I'm just, obviously I stood out. And I'm just making sure that my little black kids are feeling the support and feeling their history and knowing that they come from a proud race of people who have risen above so many obstacles. And I think, you know, am I the token at the school now? Not now. I, you know, this has come upon me over the years. I've been there for 22 years. I've seen black teachers come and go. I'm the one who stays. And uh, there's so many positive reasons why I stay. I really like my job. And I really like being able to make the difference that I feel that I make. Uh, but there are these assumptions, like someone was trying to clean out their closet. They had a Martin Luther King poster. Oh, see if Michelle wants it. Thank you. I've got, you know, I've got my posters. I've got my sets. And maybe one of the other teachers could use it because it sounds like they're lacking some resources anyway. And then when another black teacher did leave, uh, she, you know, because there have been short stinted, uh, sh short um, stints of black teachers at the school. Uh, she left and they're like, oh, Shakira's leaving. But we have Michelle. Like, no, nah. you know, let's not go there. I'm, I don't want to be the one. Oh, she's leaving, but we still have her. So it, I just I feel race around me all the time. Why can't I just be a good teacher who likes to teach a multicultural education to all my kids? And so many little incidences just throughout the years have happened just, you know, even this week when the after school program was playing music and I could hear it outside my class and people would come by. You playing music? 
no, I'm planning my curriculum. The music's coming from outside. They're like, oh, you know, she's the one. No, no, it's not always that way. <laughs> Even though, you know, sometimes I'll, t- I'll teach music in my curriculum. I don't have it lasting after school when I'm trying to, to plan my curriculum. So I think it's the assumptions and the being pegged. I have one little story, still in that vein, but we were doing parent conferences and Sometimes I don't want to always sound really uh, all the way correct when I speak. I want to be able to relax when I talk. And I was, this was a parent-teacher-student conference. And I said to the student, I said, oh, why don't you go get your language arts binder? And I said, there it is over there, girl. And so I threw in girl, you know, just to kind of loosen things up a bit. And so then when she left the conference and I was just with the parents, the dad thought, oh, okay, I want to be hip. And, you know, these are white parents. And he's like, yeah. And my daughter said that someone said she had a big butt. And I should just tell her. And then he started shaking his head. And it's like, I've never seen you shake your head like that. That's kind of unusual. And this is a white man who's in a conservative job. And he's there with his hand on his hip, shaking his head, going, yeah, I should just tell her. Yeah, they, they say that to you. You should say this, girlfriend. I'm like, oh, God, just because I said girl. Now, you know, they're going into the whole, or not they, because it was just the dad. And so... You know, it's, it's confusing. I'm into this role that, you know, if I say one thing, oh, let's go there. Okay, we'll snap our fingers and shake our heads and we'll be in with her. You know? And so I feel race thrown in my face all the time in my environment. And it's a progressive environment. So they don't really know they're doing it because they think they're kind of being cool and kind of being hip and kind of being, yeah, we're on the same page. And so race and being a black teacher and being an only black teacher, my saving grace is what the kids are getting out of the curriculum that I offer them. And what I learn, obviously, what I learn from the kids. I have this little black boy in my class, and we just have this look where we get each other. And I was reading this uh, book about Malcolm X, and I was reading one part where it said carloads of men were following him. And afterwards, you know, at the end of the story, of course, he gets killed, and one student said, well, why, how did he get killed when carloads were following him to protect him? And that little black boy just shook his head. <laughs> he said, that's not what they were following him for. And we just, we just had this look, you know. We, and so, you know, I tried to gently explain it to second graders. But it's like we have this connection. We're in the know. And, you know, one of you were saying that, that um, they have so much knowledge, just so much that they, they come knowing just from life experience. And last year I considered doing an affinity group with the few black kids we had. And I didn't, and I'm so, I was so excited to hear you say that you do that because I was thinking I would love to do that in my school. And then I started thinking, would I get opposition? Would people think, oh no. And then I thought, when I heard you spoke, it's like, speak, it's like, well, who cares? I can try it. I can try this. I can do this. You know, especially after 22 years, they're not going to say you're out of here. You know, I I feel like I have more courage to take that kind of chance. Mm -hmm. So thank you for for sharing that, for going through with it, for doing it. Yeah. The mission of the Black Teacher Project is to develop and sustain black teachers to lead and reimagine schools as communities of liberated learning. The Black Teacher Project's vision is that every student will benefit from the diversity, excellence, and leadership of an empowered Black teaching force. You can find out more information at www.blackteacherproject.org. 
It's interesting hearing this last piece that you said, this idea, the questions, the, the, the limits we place on ourselves, mm -hmm. right? So, so you've had all this time in the classroom, but you're still wondering, yeah, right? Mm -hmm. is, is race gonna play out in such a way that me simply gathering folks is gonna be a problem, right? Yeah. Never mind my years of success, mm -hmm. that somehow I'll, I'll be questioned in that way. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I'm, I'm curious for folks, what are the things that, the internal things that you've told yourself that clearly are impacted mm -hmm. by external, but what are those internal messages that come up around race, positively or negatively, to your point of celebrating ourselves. But how does this, what's, what's the inside voice that's happening for them? So I guess in my case, I guess I'd have to think all the way back to pre-kindergarten. I never had a bad educational experience. I did not even encounter or understand there was racism until I was 18. So I have to give credence to my family, mother, father, five sisters, five brothers, aunts and uncles, extended family, preschool, kindergarten, private kindergarten, my godmother, where she taught me that I was brilliant, such that she took me to school and got me skipped. So I didn't know any negativity mm. from that young. If anything, it was the internal stuff because I was the only child in my family like that. And so I had to deal with that in a way that my family always told my stories. I could never do wrong. I tried to do wrong with seven sisters, I mean, <laughs> nine sisters and brothers. Somebody was going to tell, somebody was bigger than me, was going to keep me from doing it. And so they protected me that way. So I really didn't know racism around color until I was in my first job. Mm -hmm. And by that time, my courage and family story, I told my dad at two years old, don't you have more kids than me? I'm trying to sleep. Don't wake me up. I don't want to kiss. Don't scratch me with your beard. So I don't know, they kind of built this speak your truth kind of thing. And so when I experienced it, I really had my first conversation with family about racism at 18 mm -hmm. from a racist um, position in San Francisco. I quit the job, got my check at lunchtime, stole the half a day that I was due to work and came home <laughs> to talk to my mother. And that's when I found out what racism was. So a part of it is how we shelter students, how we protect them. And so I try to create those nurturing kind of cocoon environments for my students so that they can express their truth and be their true self and feel their pain and not be victimized or judged or penalized for the fact that life is painful. Where yeah, we get broke, but we get up. Um, yeah, she's trying to break you, but you got your better. When she breaks you, your better will come out. Mm -hmm. It's okay to get broke down. It's okay to get mad. <laughs> yeah. It's okay to get mad. You can heal from that, yeah. you know, and be your real self and try different things. Yeah. <laughs> and in one and only, I spent a lot of time in one and only environments, but because of the way they fed it to me, I never felt, I had friends that didn't look like me from early as elementary school. When I was catching the bus or being driven to a different school, I didn't really understand why civil rights West Oakland, why um, it was all because I started school so early. That's how I understood it. I didn't mm. consider it a affirmative action. That hadn't happened yet. Um, and so I got accustomed to having white guys carry my books on for me because they went to my school and if they happened to be poor like us and lived on the west side of Oakland, 
They were going my way. I was a girl. Boys carried books. I was raised with a father and five brothers. So I had some some learnings that were different. But I try to share those with my students and other people that really, what you think about who you are is the most important thing you got. And just don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lies. So I probably have my biggest issues around racism now and the work that I do and coordinate justice for youth who are just as involved, whether it's foster youth, whether it's juveniles, because they're reacting to a country built on racism, built from immigrants. All of us are immigrants. And so helping that truth come come out for them so that they know that every day you get to start all over. I don't know, don't tell me what you've done. Thinking about an earlier conversation, I had a young African-American male and I'd never heard of this crime. He shot up a funeral of a local pastor and church family where I knew people that, and when he came to my school, I couldn't tell my teachers that that's who he was or that's what he did. But when we graduated him and the first staff meeting after that, I was able to tell him, guess who we just graduated? You could hear a mousetrap in that room. And I said, and that's how great you are. You took a young man who attempted murder in a black church in Oakland and you turned his life around. And not only does he know not to murder anymore, he had remorse and he changed his life. And so, yeah, there's some things you want to protect your students from, but some things they need to know that the pain we feel is real. My students were some of my biggest champions. I don't understand why a white teacher who doesn't teach, I walk in his room, he's at the podium and he's teaching, and my students are yelling and cussing out the window, throwing things out the window, climbing the walls, why he keeps cashing his check. Why he still gets the check. And so, yeah, that's a conversation I would have with my students, my pain about that. Yeah, because it's my pain is real. I gotta, I gotta be my best self to teach them. Mm-hmm. So no, I don't hide the racism or what I'm dealing with from them, but we talk about it, and and then we come to our own wisdom about what needs to happen that's best for us. For me, I just want to add a little bit to that. Um, so one of the things that I constantly tell myself internally is, um, because I am an English teacher, so there's a quote by Grant Spenon that says, mastery of language affords remarkable power. And I tell that to my students all the time, and I start the first day telling them, I am not your teacher. And they don't understand that. So we have a conversation about that. I'm like, I am not your teacher. I'm a facilitator, but we are co-teaching each other. And this is our space for us to learn with one another. And I have, because I am a unionized teacher, I have the union document that says that I have, that I have academic freedom. So I have that plastered on my classroom door and on my, um, my board in my room. And so, yes, you know, according to the district, I'm supposed to teach these standards and X, Y, and Z. But that's not how my babies learn. That's not how my kids learn. I'm not one of those teachers where they come in, they sit at a desk, and they're supposed to be robots. I just, I don't get down like that. That just breaks the spirit. I just can't sit in a desk all day. Um, so I bring in music. I bring in art. I bring, bring in 
things that allow them to be creative that have been taken away from our kids that our kids need the most. And so I incorporate language into that and we talk about the power of words and we use art and we use music because to me those are like the highest creative thinking skills that most of our children have that they're being stifled. They know that I'm against, my, my principal knows that I'm against standardized testing. He knows that I advocate for my students to show their brilliance in a myriad of ways. The data is only one piece of it. Don't show me the numbers, because I know my kids are more important and more brilliant than that. So internally, I have this conversation with myself every day. I co-teach with my kids. I'm just not teacher as a dictator. We are in this together. It's brilliant to have them take over the class and teach each other and not sitting at their desk like I'm a student and I'm learning from them. And they're not used to that. And that breaks my spirit as a teacher because they're used to going to class, just sitting down like they're empty vessels and just absorbing whatever they can from teachers. And so when the script is flipped, they're like, what or what? What am I supposed to do in here? This is different. I don't like this. So at the beginning of the year, it's really, really hard for them. But um, at this time of the year, they're like on it. I can just, like I said, sit at a desk and act like I'm a student and they're teaching each other. And it's, it's great, it's brilliant. And I just feel like that's what education should look like. And you know, keep it real, I'm in the belly of the beast. So I am in a really hardcore East Oakland school. My kids are come from a myriad of backgrounds. But I don't let them wear that letter on them like it's a scarlet letter, right? Like, like it's something that proves to the world that they can't achieve or that they can't be great. And we have conversations about that. And although I hate this word like counter narrative, to me that's so triggering, but when we do have conversations, I'm like, whose voice is missing from this story? Mm -hmm. Whose experience is missing from this story? Do you see yourself in this curriculum? Why do you think we need to learn this? And so I've begun to write my own curriculum and bring in things that are more relevant for them, that's rigorous, but relevant, and is important, and they see themselves reflected in it. And along with that, where the racism and sexism piece comes in it for me, is that my kids are excelling, they're beautiful children, but then I have the adult piece, where the adults make it funky and gross. And it's painful because you have adults that are like, well, you guys are just doing art in there. You guys are just listening to music all day. Um, they don't really understand that my kids are thriving in my class and they're being their best selves and they're being their most creative selves. And because I am the only black female teacher on campus, what I say and do is question a lot. And, I've, and you know, other teachers have come up to me and said, you know, we're kind of intimidated by it because like, so-and-so comes up to and they talk to you a certain way. But with me, oh my gosh, I just can't deal with them. And I'm like, yeah, I know you can't deal with them. So how's that going for you? What are you going to do to fix it? What are you going to do to change it? And so I said, what you should actually do is, you know, ask the principal, just come in and take a look at my class. And that's one thing that really bothers me about certain teachers. They get so like, this is my space, my classroom, I'm closing my door, I'm staying in here. We don't collaborate and see each other and help each other. Um, 
And so once they do answer into my classroom, they're just like, I can never do this. Oh my God, what's happening in here? And like, my kids are not robots and I refuse to treat them as such. Mm -hmm. I can just say one thing, then I'll probably be done. I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 I don't do that. Okay. One of my favorite quotes, and you guys all probably know who she is and even her husband, Karen Malik Seneferu. She has this quote, space dictates meaning. And basically what you bring into that space can actually mm -hmm. change the meaning of that space. So as a teacher, as a black teacher, as a woman, as a black woman, all those intersections, right? I really think space dictates meaning. And it's really up to me what I bring into that space and that place at that particular time. And so going back to like just being brave, believing in yourself, what is it that I as a as an individual, what is it that I'm bringing into that space for my students? Am I bringing it, oh, I don't wanna be here, I'm not trying to deal with y'all today? Mm -hmm. Or am I bringing in a spirit that's giving off love, compassion mm -hmm. towards my passion? Because apparently I have some type of passion and some compassion to be in here because it's not an easy job at all. I think it is the most complex job, even if you're a doctor performing surgery. That's complex, so don't get me wrong, that's complex when you're performing surgery. But outside of that, you just really, the nurse is doing everything else. But a teacher, <laughs> a teacher, we take on so many roles. Like, we're not counselors, but we're acting as a counselor. We're not your mama, but we acting like we're your mama. We're not your auntie or your uncle, but we're acting like it. So I really, really think space, space dictates meaning and, and what you bring into that space, like right now, what we, what are we bringing to the, into this space? Or even with the Black Female Project, I'm a part of the Black Female Project, and it is a space for Black women, not women of color, but Black women. There's a difference. And so space really, 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 truly, honestly dictates meaning. Look at America. What have we brought into here? And how is it being dictated? And what is the effects of it? And how are we being treated? And where are we going? as a people. So when I go into my classroom, when I enter into the school, I'm gonna tell y'all a quick story. Do you notice something missing right now? That something is you. We would love for you to consider becoming a sponsor so that you can share your work with our Black Female Project community. Go to blackfemaleproject.org. My mom taught us to pray, and I, I'm one a firm believer in prayer. And I remember I was walking down the hallway to uh, every Friday as teachers we meet before we start our day, every Friday. And I think it's nice that we meet every Friday before we start our day, it's cute. And so I was walking down the hallway, I was like, oh Lord, just give me, just give me peace. Give me, give me peace. I just need peace, just, I just felt as though I needed some more peace. So I asked for peace. And it's crazy how you can ask God for something and then, you know, you be tested right away. I walk in. To, I think this lady really tried me. She always tried me, y'all. And I'm not trying to sound like the crazy or the mad black woman. I'm honestly not. You can't be mad. I walk in there and I, I was asking for, I asked God, give me peace. And okay, Erica, you want peace? I'm giving it to you, but you're, gonna, you're about to be tested. So I get in there, head of school, principal. Oh, Miss Duke, I didn't get all of the um, comments. And at first I was like, let me just ignore her like I didn't hear her. Because I didn't mind her asking me that or 
approaching me in front of everybody saying that she didn't get all my um, comments for the report cards, right? But I think it was just the tone of voice and how you came at me. So again, space dictates meaning and what you bring into that space, you're gonna get a certain reaction, right? And so I didn't like how her tone of voice and how she came at me. If it would have just been a bit more subtle, it would have been better. And I was like, did you check your email? I was like, and if I did miss a few, I'll go back and check for you. But I was still professional because I'm like, I'm still a teacher, I'm still professional. So let me conduct myself a certain way. But I was like, wow, I was just trying. I just asked for peace. And I guess that me, okay, Erica, let me, let me see if you can really, because you know, faith, and having faith and you just asking for something you still have to put in the work right so i had to actually put that piece into work because i just can't ask for something and be like oh it's just gonna happen i have to show it it's all about action and so just like us serving our students it's all about action either you gonna do it or you're not gonna do it right and that's what i used to tell my uh seventh and eighth graders at west Oakland middle school like you either need to be about that action or not be about that action. I said, sometimes Miss Duke is not about that action because sometimes I get scared and it's okay to get scared, right? Yeah. But at the end of the day, you're either about that action or you're not. And I'll be talking to them like they talk to each other. You about that action or not, right? I'm not about that action. You about that action, right? It's, I'm like, it's crazy. But she really tried me and they would be like, ooh, Miss Duke, you tried it, right? My, my student, is my uh, principal is really, I really honestly think that she's really trying to break me down. I'm like, what did I do to you? You don't even know me. Like, that's my thing, like, you don't know me. You just know me as what you see on my resume. And that's, I talk to my mama, like, she's like, Erica, that's what she see. She just sees your resume and all the good things that you've done and then you accomplish on your resume. She see that you have two degrees and working towards your third degree. She sees that you present at conferences and you've done research in Africa and all sorts of things that I have. But why are you coming for me? Why? But they come for us. And so space dictates meaning wherever you are. I don't care if you a teacher, I don't care if you a doctor. I don't I really don't care. Space dictates meaning at the end of the day. And so that's what I go in. That's how I go into like the classroom and the schools. Like space dictates meaning. I have to remember that. I have to remember what Karen Sinefru is doing. I have to remember that the black woman is God and not you don't have to bow down and worship me when you see me, but I have to remember that I have a certain essence. I have a certain light. Like you said, we are everything. And I have to remember that. And I have to present that even in my curriculum, you know, the space. What am I conveying? So yes, I'm teaching. My my pedagogy is African centered. Everything that happened in Africa, my students, they talk about Mexico because a lot of their families come from Mexico. And so they talk about the pyramids. I was like, but did you know those pyramids? Yeah. Right, uh -huh. right, so I like to connect it. And they're in kindergarten, and they're, they get so excited because they love to learn. They're kids, they're children, right? But space dictates meaning. And so that's how I go into, I'm not edgy like this in my classroom, you guys. <laughs> Longtime Black Female Project partner Farley's is a local coffee shop who does much for the community and local nonprofits through their Be the Change initiatives. Get your coffee and learn more by visiting Farley's online or purchasing from their stores.
This always feels like we're just getting started. But I will say, as we wrap up the conversation today, is there one specific takeaway that you want your colleagues or administrators to consider? Like, what could enhance your or improve your work experience or your work environment? One takeaway. And we'll just go around, and then um, Misha will close us out. Michelle? I, I want to think a minute. Okay. I got to think, too. You want takeaway? Just <laughs> one. Just one you'd like to offer in the space. Just one. There are probably several, and this might... But what's coming up for you right now? One thing, a takeaway or an action that can improve your work environment or experience. Um, I think one takeaway... Who is this for again? This is for your colleagues and or administrators. All right. So, <laughs> I guess I would say... For my colleagues and my administrators, I'm not even break that up. Well, I guess okay, so for my colleagues, actually, no, 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 no. I'm gonna say for both. What? Yeah, it is hard, but I guess the one thing that's sitting on my spirit right now is that I need them to know. So I need my administrators and I need my colleagues to know that I really want to break it up. I really want to separate. Do you want to take a moment? I'm gonna take a moment because I don't okay. want to separate. Yes, yeah, yeah. well, I, I can try. Yeah. Um, we're always looking for diversity in our student body but then there are certain kids who just don't make it there because they act too much of who they are they act too much of their culture and I would like for my workplace to accept to you know to walk the walk if you are asking for diversity then you've got to not just look for the kids who fit your um, fit your image of who you are, but maybe a different color of, of who you are, but really true diversity from, you know, from who they are, their culture. And I said that really choppy, but I think, mm -hmm. I think it came out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Michelle. Appreciate it. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> so I think there's two things. Uh, one for my administrator and colleagues, one thing I want them to uh, know is that I need them to figure out how to engage in conflict in an appropriate way because, and this is, I, I think I say this specifically because like at my school, like folks want to say, oh, we're a social justice school, but like nobody wants to get into conflict and like, like, you know, there's no progress without struggle. And so like, if we can't struggle with each other and can't struggle with the institution that we're in, then it's like, basically we're just like, just being comfortable with um, the status quo and it's not what I'm about. So I need folks to be ready to engage in conflict and struggle and know that like I don't see myself as an angry black woman when I engage in conflict and struggle and I need them not to see me as that as well and then the second thing is like I need them to know that like our students like our babies are not numbers and so like if you can't tap into like the social emotional needs of our students then again you're just doing what the system wants you to do which is like produce those numbers and that's not what I'm about either so yeah back to me I would like to just pass something on um, since I'm not actively in the classroom anymore I do work with kids but but I would like to pass on that the two things that need to be remembered about children that you teach is they only want two things from you for any adult who is in charge of them whether it's a parent or teacher or coach or whatever they want to know do you love me and am I safe mm -hmm. And do you love me does not mean do you think I'm cute or do you think I'm pretty. But do you really honor me? Do you talk about me to other teachers? Do you talk about me with respect? Do you talk about me with my parents with respect? 
Do you talk about me with other kids with respect? Do you support me in that way? That's, do you love me? Um, am I safe? It is not just physical safe. It's also emotional safe. It's, do you trust me? And can I trust you? And do you tell me the truth? And do you let me tell you the truth? Which is very different. But do you let me tell you the truth? And when I mess up, Will you stand with me to help me get it right? Will you see me through? Will you hold me accountable? But will you stay there with me and help me get it right? Um, so those two things are, I, I think, are just absolutely basic to the whole teaching approach of children. They have to know that. And when they know it, you know that they know it. Because they will just come and be all over you. But they're going to test you. They're going to come back. You still there? You still trust me? You still love me? Even when they mess up? And you're still there? And you hold them accountable, but you don't, you don't demonize them. You don't uh, disrespect them. You're always respecting them. So those two things, I think, are just absolutely crucial to being, no matter what color teacher you are, and no matter what color students you have, you have to have those things for your students. And if you can't do it, for whatever reason, this is not the job. Um, one thing that I would like both of my colleagues and administrators to know is, um, I went to a lecture by Chris Edmund, and he mentioned that um, one essential question that we should ask all teachers um, who are not black or brown is when when was the first time you've had an experience with a person of color and for me that says a lot because if you haven't worked on your implicit bias if you haven't worked on your privilege if you haven't done that internal work on yourself especially if you're going to teach in a school with black and brown kids um, as an adult, I don't know if I, if I trust you. I don't know if I feel comfortable working with you, working with my babies, because I consider all of my kids my babies. So are you willing to do the work on yourself, that internal, deep, traumatic, emotional work? Because that's what we expect of our students. We want to nurture their social emotional learning. We want to make sure that they're encouraged as the brilliant <coughs> they are. So have you put in the work on your implicit bias? Have you put in work on your uh, privilege? Have you checked yourself? That's my question. Um, I really I want to second that. Um, I really appreciate that. Uh, for my admin, it would be creating space um, like for PLWs or like any little sort of like teacher learning thing where like there are affinity groups specifically based on race, uh, if that works at the site. Um, for me, I would like them to create that time because it's also, it's hard to get together and if that's built into us where it's like, no, we actually do that. We come together, we talk about what it means to be black educators and why I'm the only black classroom teacher unless y'all are PE. Like talking about that. <laughs> and, then, and then the other thing would be and if not, like getting it connected, like I'm in Black Teacher Project because my white principal like did his job and did it well. It was like, hey, this is actually gonna work. Like you might want to check this out. And so three of us are in there from the same school because he had the 
recognition that it's not just enough to say no matter what WCP, it's like no matter what for black people is different than for the white staff. So um, continuing to find ways to connect us to affinity groups that are going to push us and hold us where that school can't. Wow. It's just amazing that um, my mind keeps resonating on the same thought that I had the last time we talked in this fashion. Um, I think I ended the evening with my sister friend, Sister Davis. And so being black, brilliant, and beautiful is not easy, but it is absolutely possible. And the other thing that every day I not only have to tell Sister Tate, I have to tell all my sisters and brothers and the people that don't look like me too, it doesn't equal angry black bitch either. Nor does it make men black bastards. And so every day I have to wake up in that knowledge because we live in a country that at least 75, maybe it's down to 50% of the people you pass in one day have that notion mm -hmm. about you or about themselves. And so we have to change that. We have to change that. It's okay to be black and brilliant and beautiful and smile because that's who you are. I have a right to be happy. And to be treated with respect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I would just say to both like teachers and just those that I work with, my colleagues, it's okay to trust. It's okay to trust people. Um, it may be hard, but it's okay to say, you know, I trust you and to build. And in order to trust, you have to build a relationship with them, you know? And it's okay to do that. Um, and I wish, like, I wish that was being truly exhibited in my, my school, at the school site that I work at, where I can say, well, I trust my administrator enough to, or I trust that teacher enough to say, this is how I feel, because I don't know. I'm not about to sit up here and talk to the teachers at my school like this. I'm not. And so I wish, well, I, yes, it's okay to trust. Trust. That's what came to my mind and my heart. Trust. Yes. Well, we trust and trust. We trusted and trusted this would be a powerful experience and process. Well, this ends our series. We hope you enjoyed listening to Hattie, Erica, Larilyn, Michelle, Joya, Belinda, and Kia and their conversation about their experiences as Black teachers. You can learn more about these women, Black Female Project, and Black Teacher Project by going to blackfemaleproject.org. Female Project.